This is episode number 614 with Ross Dawson, author of Thriving on Overload. Ross, welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. It's awesome to have you here calling in from Australia. I guess it's early in the morning for you since it's late in the evening for me. It is. Great pleasure to be talking to you, John. Nice. So I didn't tell you this before we started recording, but you, Ross, are the guinea pig for this podcast for a new era. That uh, So you are the very first guest um, in this deliberate new format change. So we have two episodes a week. And historically, it's just on Tuesday episodes that we have guests. And those guests speak about topics that are specific to data science. And then on Fridays, we have these what we call five-minute Friday episodes, where it was typically just me on my own talking about um, how, to, how to cope with things at work, uh, a topic that we're going to be talking about today, um, how to excel at work, um, looking at emerging technologies, looking to the future. And I started to think that why don't we have brilliant guests like you come on and give much better, much more detailed answers for our audience than I could possibly do. So you're the very first guinea pig in what will be um, something that happens more and more and more on this program. So Fridays will no longer just be five minutes all the time. They will definitely be longer. And more frequently, I will be accompanied by brilliant guests like yourself. That's good. Um, So... Yeah, it's going to be fun. So Ross, you are the author of the brand new book, Thriving on Overload. It looks like a great book. It was released in the United States on September 6th. And so by the time this episode is live, anybody in the US will have access to it. And I imagine people pretty much all over the world. Uh, I've told more like uh, late October for the rest of the world, but uh, it will be around soon at latest. Nice. Well, (laughs) Great. Well, you'll be able to access it soon uh, if you're not in the U.S. And so this book answers the question, when you're managing exponential amounts of information as part of your job or as part of your daily life, and I think a lot of us in the data science profession or in related fields are dealing with this situation all the time, we have tons of new papers coming out, you know, thousands of papers every week, many of which are relevant exactly to what we're doing. There are hundreds of books every year that we might like to read. Um, There are patents. There are GitHub code repositories. It doesn't end. There's just exponentially more and more and more information for us to absorb as data scientists. And I frequently have had people reach out to me on social media and ask me the question, how do you keep up? How do you learn in this field? How do you feel under control? And you, Ross, are the man to answer that question because your book is about managing these exponential amounts of information and transforming that from a feeling of being overwhelmed into a sense of abundance and empowerment. How do we do that at a high level? Well, it's exactly the same as you. I get asked that question. I'm a futurist. I talk about uh, just about every industry you can imagine. And so I have to keep across incredible amounts of information. So people ask me, how do you keep up? And in a way, this is partly a self-reflection. Observe myself and what I do, 
and also from all of the people I know that I've interviewed and engaged with, the people I call the information masters, the ones that we can see around us who are able to effortlessly keep on top of that. And so, so mm. it really is the book is trying to distill that into a framework which is useful and pragmatic. Uh, so that's identified what I call the five powers, which are the foundations for being able to thrive in this world of overload. Nice. Yeah, let's dig into that. I understand that the five intertwined powers to develop are purpose, framing, filtering, attention, and synthesis. Maybe you can run us through those one by one. Ross, what's the purpose power all about? So purpose is knowing why you're taking in information at all in the first place. You know, And that's, I think, something which very few people get to consciously, where instead of just saying, oh, lots of information, that's interesting, and the sort of way you're able to play, you know, we are, as humans, attracted to information. You know, we're, novelty is, gives us a dopamine reward, so we're always, we have plenty of novelty all around us, and we follow our instincts, and we're just looking for all sorts of cool and interesting stuff. So purpose starts from saying, why? Why do I want any information at all in the first place? What is my, <laughs> what do I want to achieve in my life? What are the things that are important to me? What is it that serves me? What, you know, what, are, what are the objectives? And from that, understanding our relationship with information. And just as we have a relationship with money or with, uh, with other people or with our health and so on, we have a relationship with information. So we want to make that relationship more empowering, one which is a positive relationship rather than a negative relationship. I would say the majority of people today have a negative relationship with information. They feel as if they're sucked into the social media vortex, and mm -hmm. they are. Whereas feeling that you have a control, and that control comes from knowing that and getting some definition. And that's you know defining your topics that of interest and how they serve you so that you can get some clarity. That's clarity that enables you to distinguish between what is valuable and what is not valuable. So the, the nice. second... The second power is framing. And this is, you know, in a way, the, my first answer when people used to ask me, what is, you know, how do you do this? And this is the idea we have to build frameworks which really give a clarity around what the knowledge that we are building. So this is, you know, you have different structures for frameworks. You know, I identify in the chapter three structures, trees, networks, and systems and where we can organize the information that comes in, the ideas, the concepts that come in, and using visualizations to be able to capture how it is we see a particular domain. So if it's any particular aspect of data science, for example, there's, we try to build a foundational knowledge. What are the structures? What's the frameworks? How do these ideas fit together? Building our own unique understanding and expertise. And then that allows us then to filter when we see a new idea, where does that fit in, in our structure? Or in fact, where does it not fit? In which case we need to adjust and to modify our, our framework. So this is really knowledge development. And there's a lot of studies over the years of how it is experts become experts. And that is through essentially unconscious pattern recognition, where we start to see patterns in things, we, we have a recognition in ourselves that we've seen a similar pattern, and that's something which we, uh, you know, essentially that's 
where the expert exceeds the amateur is they'll be able to digest these patterns. So the framing is really making that pattern recognition explicit, being able to bring to the surface the ways in which you're actually building the frameworks on which your knowledge or expertise reside. Nice. That sounds clear. And so I imagine in your book, there are uh, multiple different ways that you identify that people could potentially be framing that's that, so any one method could be suited to some particular purpose that they have in their life. Exactly. So say, you nice. know, using both structural tools or structural frameworks and also visual, what I call concept frameworks or concept visualizations. Nice. All right. That sounds great. So we've got, we've, once we found our purpose, then we identify the right framing structure so that we can um, make explicit the kinds of pattern recognition that experts use to uh, create meaningful structure from uh, the information that they are absorbing. And then with that, we can go to step three, which is filtering. Yes. So filtering is in the essence, you know, it's really distinguishing between where positive value information and negative value information. So most information doesn't have zero value, either it has positive value or either it does not have as much value as the time it takes to consume it, or in fact, it has you know, even right. further negative value because it is misleading or incorrect or, or simply you know, not, not constructive in our thinking. So this right. is partly a sensitization to what is you know, what serves us in being able to build better models, build a richer understanding, and what is less, uh, you know, what is negative value and be able to get faster at that and providing some frameworks to do that. And, but one of the frames is having a portfolio of information sources. So just as we have an investment portfolio, and we look at how do we get the, uh, I suppose, the portfolio together to be more than the sum of its parts, by through the diversity, through the you know the richness, through the complementarity of those sources. So we're designing a portfolio of sources, and then being able to have a frame of mind where we can be bringing the what we find is of value into our mental models effectively. And so one of the key frames is shifting from a essentially a fixed you know, thinking in terms of having beliefs to ones of being able to modify your thinking, essentially probabilistic thinking. Or, and so, in fact, you know, Bayesian uh, maths, in fact, can be applied to Bayesian thinking. So when we have a, you know, a revision uh, update, you know, in terms of a Bayesian model, that's exactly the same thing. And, and you know, another name for that is a, a, a belief revision. And so we are, mm -hmm. in fact, using our thinking and our mental models so that any new information can be taken to adjusting or refining our model. So rather than confirming or disconfirming a fixed belief, we are continuing to revise our thinking on the basis of, of what information comes in. So that sensitizes to the information that can be most valuable in being able to adjust, you know, use our priors and to adjust them to be able to become a more accurate assessment of the world. Nice. How many podcasts do you come on where you can just start talking about Bayesian stats and <laughs> be confident that the audience will know what's going on? Not many. <laughs> um, I am so happy that you did that. 
And so, yeah, so we have for listeners who are unfamiliar with Bayesian statistics, um, we have had a number of great guests on the show discussing it in detail. Um, one of the most in-depth introductions we've had and actually the most popular episode of Super Data Science in 2021 was episode number 507 with Rob Tranguchi. So if you'd like an introduction to Bayesian stats, check that out. But uh, it is like Ross is describing. So you have a prior belief and then you use information to adjust that belief uh, into what we call the posterior. And even that posterior, it's, it's a probability distribution. So it isn't a point uh, belief, a single scalar value. Um, and I really love that way of thinking about um, <clears throat> the way that we absorb information. That's brilliant. Thank you, Ross. Um, so once we've applied our filter, are we into the attention point now or is that still coming up? Uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of a reasonable <laughs> distillation of the filtering uh, aspect. So nice. attention, I think what's critical to recognize is that it's not as if we either have attention or not attention. The default mode network of our brains means, you know, essentially describes that our mind wandering is the default state of our minds. And unless we are specifically focused on something, our mind is wandering. So there are, in fact, a number of different activities and different types of attention that we need in order to be able to process information uh, effectively. So, for example, one mode is scanning, where we basically, that is one particular attention mode where it's relatively light, as it were. We are looking through a predefined set of sources and we are looking for things where we want to potentially dive in further. So this is one particular mode. It's not necessarily requiring incredible focus, but it's one where we are looking across sources, be able to identify, okay, not interested, maybe interesting, and you go through those. So a quite distinct mode is assimilating, where you have identified, ah, this is potentially of interest. This is something which is relevant to my interests. I check that against my, my purpose. And then you spend time in a different frame of mind, different tension mode, where you're actually, okay, I'm looking for the ideas in this. I'm correlating that to my existing uh, mental models or frameworks, uh, bringing that in, being able to consider that, potentially make some notes and so on. And so there's six attention modes in all. So there's scanning, assimilating, exploring, seeking, uh, deep diving. And that, that's absolutely critical. Deep diving is a state where you take everything out. No distractions, no notifications, not going to be interrupted uh, by anybody unless it's the end of the world. And you have the conditions where you can be focused and you practice getting into this deep diving mode. And you know, one simple, you know, recommendation for anybody, and I think, you know, your audience would probably already be a lot better than most at getting into that deep diving state because you have to, to, to really build models and, uh, you know, create structures of, in software, but is that you have per at least one period of time every week where you, you know, get into this, everything gone, getting focused, and you're practicing that ability to focus. So through the chapter, there's also a number of different exercises or practice for how we can refine our attention. This is a muscle. This is something which we can exercise. This is something which we can develop. And as we get better at attention, we can apply that when we choose to do so. And the sixth attention mode, which is just as important as any of the others, is regenerating. 
because our mm. attention of our brain is finite. It is limited. There's, we can't sustain continuous attention. And in fact, the best way to be able to have our highest levels of attention is to stop, turn off all digital things to take ourselves out of information. And in fact, the you know, research shows that in fact, places of nature are the ones that are best at regenerating our ability for attention. Wow. Is there any literature on kind of like the bare minimum amount of regeneration that we'd need in a day or in a week to be optimal? There's, there's a variety of research, but I mean, it's, I think the, it is very contextual in terms of individuals right. and situations and so on. But, you know, essentially in terms of, you know, 30 minutes a day, we'd say is a bare minimum. And there's also some great work by the Kaplans, a, a couple who are a foundation, a lot of this research, including what they call attention restoration therapy, which is probably what we all need. And they, uh, in, in that research, they distinguish between what they call hard fascination and soft fascination. And so this, this is where the, the fascination is when you are seeing things and you're drawn into that. So the soft fascination is, for example, you're looking at some trees in the wind or, you know, the ocean or, you know, even I think, you know, people's faces, you know, this is something where, you know, you are, there's nothing specific to focus on. You are engaged in that. Hard fascination is watching a movie. So that's something where you are fascinated, you are absorbed in it, but that is not regenerating your attention. And so mm -hmm. if we are spending all of our time on Netflix or streaming, that is not in fact truly regenerating our attention. It is relaxing perhaps, but that is not the same uh, degree of regenerating that uh, we need for truly um, being able to pay high focus attention when we want to. That is crystal clear. And uh, I really appreciate that quite practical advice. It also is in line. It's nice that there's research by these Kaplans that backs something that I think I intuitively agree with. You often, you don't come out of scanning a social media feed or watching a film often feeling rejuvenated and excited to dig into reading a book indeed um in the same way that you might if you take the dog out for a walk in the park exactly awesome all right so we've got through purpose framing filtering attention we've just got number five left synthesis so synthesis is the master skill and i think it's actually quite uh, pertinent for a data science audience and one of the key aspects that I describe of synthesis, that it is the capability that will keep humans ahead of machines, mm. where this is the ability to pull together disparate data into understanding, literally being able to see the whole. So analysis is the slicing and the dicing and the breaking things into smaller and smaller parts. The synthesis is the opposite, is pulling that all together to see how the parts connect to be able to perceive a whole. And this is something where a lot of this does reside essentially at our subconscious level. And I talked before about how we essentially pattern recognition is something which happens at the subconscious level. And that analysis is a very conscious activity, you know, consciously breaking things down to pieces. A lot of the insight, so if you look at any great 
scientists or artists or engineers or any people that are coming up with new ideas, they usually experience this moment of insight. And there has been some great research done on this moment of insight and the states of our brain in which we are able to receive these. So part of what we can start to uncover is what it is that nurtures those states of mind that bring us the insight, the ones that enables us to make these creative connections, the ones that enable us to be open to new data and to or new information that we can incorporate into our models. So any machine learning is by definition domain bounded because you've got a data set, that data set has certain parameters and you can train that, but you only, that's only applicable, of course, within those particular parameters of that data set. And so what humans can do, which machines cannot for the foreseeable future, is to be able to pull together, you know, different things of different classes or categories or different levels of logic and to pull those together to make sense. So this is really the master capability. And as indeed we have more and more uh, models and algorithms and uh, data, uh, you know, data models that can often exceed human performance in any specific decision-making domain, where humans will continue to be superior and to be able to keep ahead is by nurturing that capability of synthesis. Nice. I love it. Um, All right. So, Ross, you've given us the five intertwined powers to develop in order to thrive on overload, uh, this information overload that so many of us data scientists face. And yeah, so purpose framing, filtering, attention synthesis, we can get more on each of those out of your book. Lots of detail around, say, the specific frameworks that we could use to frame uh, more information on the six types of attention. It all sounds uh, like really valuable reading. But one thing I don't think we'd be able to get out of your book that I'd love for you to tell us on air is your thoughts about how our listeners, how this data science audience could develop tools or machine learning models or products to automate or augment or assist any of these five powers? So I think there's a immense possibilities. One of the one of the most obvious is simply in content filtering and recommendations. And it's interesting. So I've actually recently set up a startup to be able to play in the space of information productivity, <laughs> how we can how we can create uh, value from Fill all your intellectual property on AirPress, please. <laughs> sure, I, I like. I, I think it's this is a, this is about sharing. You know, this is. I think that this is a common space of play. You know, what I would say. Yeah, you know, one one fairly obvious thing is that content recommendations is something which in twenty twenty two we still haven't cracked. It's it's quite, right. kind of quite amazing. You know, if you look over the last twenty years, you think, oh, that surely AI could tell us what information we want, and what we don't want. Well. I'd like to see the products which do that. And that is still something where I, you know, we will crack this better than we have, but we haven't yet. You know what I've heard? So I'm, I have, (laughs) well, so I do have a TikTok account, but I've never really used it. I have, so uh, my social media team for the podcast uh, creates 30 second clips of, uh, you know, what they think is like a highlight of a Super Data Science episode. And then they convert that into a TikTok video and they post it on my TikTok account. So I have this developing TikTok account. I've never been on myself, but what I've heard 
from people is not in the kind of content recommending system that you're talking about where it's useful information that's yep. going to help us with our jobs. Yep. But apparently, TikTok has cracked an algorithm in a way in terms of finding you amusing information that's tailored to you. People describe it, you know, compared to the preceding kinds of big social media networks like Facebook or Instagram, uh, apparently TikTok is really onto something with, yes. <laughs> with yes. keeping people amused. And maybe they don't come out of it with a sense of regeneration, but they, they do come out of it without that sense of gloom that I think has been associated with a lot of the social media um, applications of the past. Anyway, I am, I am digressing. <laughs> well, well, on that point, I mean, I describe TikTok as having pushed out the frontiers of attention hijacking. And so, yeah, essentially the various social platforms over time got better at it. TikTok has absolutely pushed up the bar. But this is in mm -hmm. terms of hijacking your attention and pulling you in to that vortex right. of, okay, well, right. there's, there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. But that is not really functional from the issue yeah, of, it okay, this is the most relevant information. This is not one which is necessarily appropriate. You know, some things, maybe 30 seconds is what you need. Other things, maybe yeah. you need a bit longer. And so moving on to exactly. the next thing is not going to be the it most functional for us. Yeah, it's not effective for scanning. It's not effective for assimilation. It's certainly not effective for a deep dive and it's not effective for regeneration, uh, that TikTok experience. Uh, so I guess um, what you're saying is that if somebody could come up with a content recommendation tool that allowed us to scan and assimilate and maybe even then, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of, um, I'm imagining a hypothetical application here but you could you could have one that a machine learning algorithm that facilitated scanning over the types of information that are useful to you, say professionally, and then uh, you could be doing some assimilation and then decide, okay, I found a paper that I'd like to dig into for the next hour, and at the click of a button, have all other applications be unable to notify you, and then you could deep dive on that article for an hour, maybe just be able to take notes, and that's it. Well, that's, that's an overlay, I would think, to the data science aspect of that, and that these yeah. are some of the functional tools of controlling your attention. But I think in terms of the data science, it is being able yeah, to yeah. identify what, which of the you know, N papers that have emerged recently are the ones which are going to be particularly pertinent to you. Yeah. And this is where, where, for example, some of the data inputs are eye gaze. So if you're looking at eye gaze tracking, you can start to get better insights into how what what is it what it is of interest and relevant, be able to find other signals which can identify what's um, going to give you data around what else would be interesting to you. But the the other thing I would add, and this is something I've written you know publicly about for over a dozen years, and I haven't really seen taken up, is this idea of a serendipity dial. And this is not just for content. This could be totally. for music. It could be for movies. 100%. It could be for anything else. Saying, okay, at some points, I don't want any serendipity at all. I just want to get only the music which I know that I love or only the mm -hmm. content that I know what I love. Or mm -hmm. sometimes I want to crank up the serendipity and I want to say, okay, actually, I want to hear 100%. something which I haven't uh, heard before and which I, you know, it might not be something I love, but it might be something I love which I've never heard before, you know, or seen mm -hmm. or whatever. And I think this is something where we get locked in, in, locked into particular parameters in how we present content, you know, broadly to people. 
And so this is something I've been trying to, you know, it's my hobby horse in a way, this idea, but I think that that's one of the important parameters. And so maybe it's a dial where you give the user control of that. Maybe it's something you just consider. All right, what degree of serendipity I'm going to offer people. And mm. it's interesting in Spotify, apparently they have their, so they have their Discover Weekly, where you know, basically every week gives you some recommendations. And mm. they found that people had greater engagement with that Discover Weekly if they included songs that person had already listened to before. And right. so this is something where Spotify uses algorithms to be able to identify what broadly was of most interest. But I, and I know that there's plenty of other people, think, what the f this is supposed to be Discover? I already know this. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're solving for something different from you. They are similar to a TikTok. They're trying to capture your attention for as much as possible. They're yes. not necessarily trying to, uh, to provide you with the most authentically discovery experience. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I've thought about this a lot. It's something that I felt like when, you know, now I am, uh, I'm, yeah, I, I use apps uh, for my music, like probably everyone else. I happen to use Apple Music these days. Um, and um, something that I miss from listening to the radio regularly, I certainly don't miss the ads. <laughs> I certainly like being able to pick whatever song I want to listen to when I want to listen to it. But I do miss the serendipity element that radio broadcast hosts seem to provide. So uh, I, for example, I, I grew up loving rock radio, but sometimes other music would come along where a DJ was like, you know, this isn't rock, but you've got to check this out. And they play. So things like uh, Eminem was something uh, back when I was a teenager that they were like, there were some Eminem songs that they played on, on rock radio or Outkast. Um, which, uh, who are really clever musicians, um, kind of genre-defying musicians. And it was really cool to have that come in in a way that probably wouldn't happen if I was just listening to uh, the rock playlist on Apple Music or Spotify. Um, yeah, so that's, that's great guidance. Um, Ross, this has been such a fun conversation. I've absolutely loved uh, talking to you about these topics. Um, I feel... Uh, energized by the possibility of minimizing my information overwhelm and maximizing my sense of abundance and empowerment. That just sounds so wonderful. Have you attained something like that? As, as a quick side, do you, do you feel? <laughs> well, do you, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not. Uh, You're not an information master yourself. You just study them. <laughs> well, no, I am. I am. I, this is one of my, my you know, super, superpowers, but it's not, yeah. I'm not perfect. <laughs> And, I, yeah. and I'm working on it. So I'm, I'm good. And there's a lot of things which I do very well. But uh, occasionally I pick up my phone and scroll through social media <laughs> when it's probably the op not the optimal thing to do. So uh, it's, it's a journey. And that's it. You know, we, we need yeah. to continue to improve. But I, I, as I you know, continue to evolve, I, I I am pretty good. I can, in a way, I can observe what I'm doing in order to be able to teach others. But I also can observe myself and say, hey, actually, there's probably some better things I can do. And this is a journey. You know, no, nobody's ever going to be perfect in any of these things. And I think that that's mm -hmm. empowering as well to be able to see this is an opportunity for improvement. 
and uh, I can get better. And I think everyone as well. I think there's you can look at your own habits and say, oh, that's not so great. But you can say, well, I can look at my habits and say, well, I can actually see plenty of opportunities for me to have information habits, which are not just empowering in terms of your ability to be an expert and your ability to do great at your work, but also to be happier, you know, to be have a greater okay. well-being in your life. I mean, I, I would say that our information environment is deeply destructive. You know, mm -hmm. we've created it because, you know, that's what humans want. We want lots of information. We've created this world, which actually, if we get let ourselves get sucked into it, is really destructive. And so we do need to empower ourselves and say, well, okay, I've got some choices. And just being conscious, just start to think, what is one, what one or two or three things which I can do to, um, to make myself that little bit better? And you'll experience the difference. Nice, yeah. Uh, uh, aimlessly uh, going through social media less, getting deep, carving out some of that time to go deep into topics without distractions for a bit of time every week, and maybe uh, cranking that up over time if it feels like the right thing as you start to ease into it, training up that attention muscle as you describe it. That all sounds like great advice, Ross. Thank you so much for coming on the Super Data Science Podcast, for being our guinea pig for this new Friday guest format. Uh, and yeah, listener, check out Thriving on Overload, which is available now in the US and the rest of the world within the next month, at least. Pleasure to talk to you, John. Brilliant, Ross. Yeah, catch you in a bit.